Hello, my name is Janice B. Gordon. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional in 2021. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow in 2021. In this episode of Scale Your Sales Podcast, my guest talks about her experience of being the only woman in the room working in the East. So whether it's Japan or China and how she navigated her way by using curiosity, by being really open and not having the arrogance of thinking you know it all. So she spent over 12 years in the, uh, the culture and absolutely loves it to today. But she is also the founder of Women in Tech Forum, a global membership coaching platform to help people accelerate and grow their career in tech. Prior to founding her company, as I said, she held leadership positions in world-leading tech companies, including SAP, TripAdvisor, and Mindcast. She is awarded the 10 Most Impactful Women in Tech 2021 by Analytics Insight magazine. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Angie Bo. Thank you very much, Janice, for having me today. Well, I really want to get into why you founded uh, the Women in uh, Tech Forum, why you saw a need for this global organ membership organization for the coaching to help accelerate the careers of women in tech. Great question. So I've been in the tech industry myself for close to 25 years. Um, during that time, um, you know, I was mostly the only woman in the room, um, both sort of at work, but also working with the clients as well. Um, so I understand the challenges that women face being the minority in, uh, in the tech industry and also some of the invisible barriers that hold women back. And Women in Tech Forum started out as a hobby three years ago, um, as a passion to give back to the next generation of women in tech, to uh, help them connect with other industry role models, with their peers, to share experiences, but also to equip them with the skills, the confidence, the tools to help them build a successful career in the industry, whether they're in sales, marketing, engineering. What started you on that path? It started as a bit of a hobby. Why? I have a genuine desire to create positive change in the industry as a whole and to create an industry that is more inclusive, more diverse, where everyone has a voice, where everybody feels included. And, you know, historically, organizations were designed by men for men. And, you know, it is difficult for a woman, you know, for women to succeed and to move into the C-suite. Um, previous research um, said that 5% of women uh, hold leadership positions uh, in the UK tech sector. I think now that's changed. I think Deloitte has just published a survey uh, to say that they expect 25% of board positions to be held by women in the broader industry sector. 
you know, I felt there was a need to, to equip women with, with the tools um, to help them overcome some of the invisible barriers that hold them back. You know, the boys club is still very much alive, you know, in the industry, and we need to sort of change that. We need to create more senior female role models to, to pave the way for future generations of women and diverse groups. You've spent a long time being the only woman in the room in the tech sector working, you know, across the, the globe and particularly in Asia. Perhaps share some of your experiences, because there must have been a bit of a light bulb when you thought, I've just had enough of this. I need to do something about it. And maybe there's differences in the kind of East and West culture. It'd be great to, to understand your experiences. I think probably one of the, the challenges is when you're in it yourself, you don't necessarily appreciate some of the challenges that you're facing. So I just got on with it. Um, you know, I, I've spent my whole career in this industry. So I sort of fit the mold. So I dress like a man. I wore a trouser suit every day with a pinstripe, you know, masculine shirt hair tied back I was lucky enough to be part of the boys club which meant I was going to strip clubs I was out drinking till 4am in the morning and you don't really sort of realize it you know at the time because you just did it and you know I was coached by men you know and, and mentored by men and and by the way this wasn't a negative experience I had a great career I had great career opportunities but I also fitted a mold. Um, and so it's taken me, you know, it's something I still work on now is having that authenticity to have your authentic voice, to speak up, to be feminine, um, you know, for not being judged by the clothes that you wear, you know, your makeup, you know, anything like that. Um, and so, you know, that sort of was sort of my experience, but it, it wasn't negative. It was very positive. Uh, I think going into Asia, there were different complexities and different challenges. First of all, I was very young. I was in my 20s and I, and I looked young as well. It's, a, you know, very much a patriarchal environment. And, you know, and I was then the only white person. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's very different. It's, you know, particularly working you know, in Japan, China, it's very difficult to be accepted. And people would often, you know, in the beginning, just kind of like nod to me and, and then just completely ignore everything I've said. But, you know, I was lucky that I had my allies around. I had my board sponsors, which helped to propel me forward in, you know, those, those you know, different cultures that I wasn't familiar with. You know, I took a lot of time to learn about kind of cult cultural norms, what to do, what not to do, you know, how to dress, how to behave. And I made sure that I learned a little bit of the language, just basic pleasantries wherever I went. Uh, and that went a long way. And it, and it showed, you know, as, as the sort of female Westerner, um, you know, who in their mind probably didn't know anything about their culture, which was also true. So you know, so you, you do learn a lot along the way. And I think you have to be, have that openness to learn, that openness to understand different ways of doing business in different countries. Um, and I did make mistakes. I remember when I went to Japan, I was so sort of work focused that I didn't, you know, they'd organized all of these sightseeing trips for me for the whole day. And I didn't go because I was too 
you know, too busy. But actually, that is part of being, you know, welcomed into the Japanese culture and to connecting with the senior executives and 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 part of the ceremony that you have as well. So, so I, you know, I made a lot of mistakes along the way, um, but you learn and grow from those. Um, and I then went on to have a very successful career in Asia for twelve years. So what led you to come out of of that culture? You did so much work to embed yourself in and had a successful career. Why are you not there now? Actually, it was never my intention to come back in in all honesty. So I came back for family reasons. But uh, given the choice, I would have stayed there, I think, until I retired and, and beyond. It was such a great experience. I loved working with all of the different cultures i love to travel as well so um you know being in the region constantly exposed to, to different foods different people different cultures you know different holidays uh, it was fantastic so there must have been some people that you saw i mean being there for 12 years that came out to do a similar sales role and just didn't embed in the culture, didn't fit or didn't last. What was it that kept you sticking and others that, you know, it didn't work for them? So I think there can be a certain arrogance. I think when you're, when you're brought out from the West to the East with, with some executives, um, you know, typically business practices are, you know, much more advanced. Typically, the companies are headquartered outside of Asia. I think if you come in with this arrogance that you know everything and everything has to be done your way, and you don't have the appreciation for the cultural nuances in every country that you're working in, then you're not going to succeed because you just won't have, um, over time, you just won't have that respect. And then once you lose your respect to people, you're not going to get... Um, the best out of them and you're not going to succeed as a leader either that's really in interesting that must be a, uh, do you think there's a particular attitude that you you need to have and you know if you've grown up in an environment where you've traveled as a younger person do you think that makes a difference or you know how you're schooled what are the things that create that kind of attitude and behavior so that you can go to other parts of the country uh, other parts of the world and easily uh, assimilate and, and embed yourself into that culture so I think for me, I've always had a curiosity for travel. I've always had a, a, a curiosity for languages. I'm a linguist. I speak four languages. Um, so that's always been embedded in me. But I don't think, I think that's more me as opposed to my upbringing. I'm from a, a working class background. I went to a state school you know I was uh, took a government grant to go to university so um you know I wasn't really surrounded by people who you know who had really you know good corporate jobs or so I think you have to have that curiosity I think uh, to succeed um, you know you've got to have that determination as well it's hard um, I hated my first six months um, but actually you know if you're open and I think you have to be um, humble as well and 
you will make mistakes. I think that's a thing. So you have to be willing to hear the feedback, listen to it and take action. And I think for me, and, and I hope others think the same is always assume positive intent. So people will make mistakes and they're not aware of them, but the intent behind it was not malicious. It was just, so I think being curious, being humble, being determined, and you have to really want to fit in as well. Uh, I don't think you can come in as a, a Westerner into you know Asia and just expect to, to fit in and expect to take your the ways that you're used to and expect them to fit in everywhere else. So you have to have that adaptability. I I'm really love what you, you had to say, and I think it's a real education. You were living in a global economy i mean really it is since the pandemic and everything's online you can trade with anybody um that that has internet so i wonder then given that so much transaction and relationship building is online so you can be anywhere in the world all of these nuances that you're talking about that are so important when you're in person in the culture how much of that translates when you're working online? That's a great question. And I think, you know, as you said, working online for Women in Tech Forum has given us an opportunity to expand globally um, and to have a much bigger impact with a much bigger audience. So the pandemic for us, whilst it was challenging initially because we were running in-person events in London every month, you know, we quickly digitized our offering and we um, we expanded globally, which is great. Um, how do you pick up on those nuances? It's, it's a great question. For me, one of the things that I do for every event that we run is I keep it really interactive, um, which means that even if my own sort of talk track or questioning track, you know, or, or it just gives an opportunity for people to give their perspective, which means, you know, if it's different to what we're talking about, that's great. So that interaction for me is key. Again, it's about being curious. It's about asking questions and including people in the community as well. It's we are a community platform by the community for the community. But also what we are launching uh, now is different groups to pick to help with those different cultural nuances so we are launching a uh, women of color in tech um, and that you know will be inclusive of all different people from different backgrounds who will have different experiences you know as a, as a black woman in tech would be very different from an asian woman in tech or very different from a south asian person in tech so we're we're running a think tank next month um, and then the program will be built um, based on the feedback by uh, different groups as well. I would imagine that being a global organization and having uh, the theme of tech, women in, in, in tech, the great thing is if uh, companies expanding into a particular market, they have this whole source of knowledge that they can leverage um, that they couldn't get anywhere else really about understanding not only the gender, the culture, but the tech environment as, as well. Absolutely fascinating. And I think it's it's great uh, what, what you're doing. So, you know, in terms of diversity in the way that you're organizing the organization, the stats of, of, of women in tech are pretty poor. And yes, there are 
projections that they will will and it, the numbers will increase. But we all know in the last two years, due to COVID, there's a lot of women that have left industries. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, you know, the kind of contracts that that they've been on. That then there's a lot less women in industry than there used to be prior to them. So in order to get back to pre-pandemic, we've still got a long way to go, let alone progressing. So I wonder if those projections will actually pan out unless something changes. And what do you think, what's your view on what needs to change to make sure we do actually hit that target, the 25% that you mentioned? I think there are a number of different things that we need to do collectively and also at a government level as well. I think the first one is starting with schools and making sure that we create, you know, create a a picture where, you know, whether you're from, you know, a woman, whether you're a girl or from a different background, that that there are opportunities for you. So I think that education, particularly of the STEM subjects and, you know, creating, you know, showing role models in making sure that the curriculum is inclusive, the books that we teach as well. So I'm I'm on the the board of diversity at my, my children's school and we're looking at the curriculum, we're looking at the plays that they do, the books that they read. You know, we uh, educated the parents on diversity for children. So I think a lot needs to be done at a school level um, and introducing children to to sort of role models and to create that excitement to go into the tech sector. I think the university uh, sector also needs to have a bit of a shake up. Um, I've spoken to a number of females who graduated from computer science in the last year or two where they were excluded from group projects because they were a woman and they had to do their group work by themselves. And I can't believe in this day and age at a university and multiple universities that this is still happening. So there is wide scale change we need to create at, you know, starting from school children all the way up. And then where we are currently in industry, we still only have a finite pool. So, you know, we we have to remember that is how are we going to hit these stats of 30, 40, 50% because that pool is not changing right now or it's changing, you know, uh, at a very slow rate. And then, as you mentioned, we've got women dropping out of the workforce, particularly, you know, if they have started to have a family or maybe they've got elderly parents. Organizations really need to look at their policies. They need to look at how are they catering for women with families and men, it's not just women, um, but, you know, flexible working, four-day week, part-time, how are they encouraging women to return back to the workplace as well? So a lot of companies now, particularly the the larger tech companies, have female returner-to-work policies. They're looking at other diverse groups, maybe not neurodiversity. Um, So we need to create an environment where women thrive, where they can fulfill you know, whatever requirements they may have, whether it be family, you know, elderly parents, um, and also have a career. So I think that is still an untapped market. uh, And I think the smarter companies now are starting to tap into that pool of talent. Excellent, excellent. So what tried and tested strategy would you offer listeners to enable them to scale their sales? Scaling your sales. So I think 
you know, you need to have a clear offering. You need to be clear on your value proposition. Um, you have to be passionate first and foremost about the products and services that you're selling, because if you're not passionate about it, you can't expect other people to. The other big differentiator is we're in an age where, you know, a lot of products and features and functions are largely the same, give or take. So what differentiates it is, you know, who are they buying from? What's the customer service that they provide? What rapport do they have? So I would really invest in, you know, building your rapport with your prospects, with your clients, making sure that you've got a good presence online as well. Um, I think 70% of research is done um, before purchasing online, before they even speak to a salesperson. So, um, you know, so making sure that you've got a good presence, that you're building a rapport with your audience. And, um, and I think from there, you will reap the rewards. And it sounds very basic, but not everybody does it. <laughs> Certainly not. So um, who is your hero or shero? Oh, great question. Um, so I love um, actually the New Zealand Prime Minister, uh, Jacinta Ardern. I loved what she did in the pandemic on how she managed the pandemic. She took action very quickly and decisively. She even organized press conferences for children uh, when no adults were allowed and spoke to them on their level in a way that made sense for them. I think she is a, a very strong leader but also she displays empathy, vulnerability, compassion. Um, and she shows that you, you don't have to fit the, the old stereotype command and control style of leader, that actually you can encompass those feminine qualities and still be very effective and powerful as a leader. I can see why um, she is a hero from you, having talked about, you know, your the way you used to dress and, you know, how you embedded yourself in a particular culture, you know, very male dominated culture, and actually then the realization that you can be authentically you and that's okay. So I love the way that, you know, that's come full circle. So thank you for that. So how can listeners get hold of you? So uh, you can follow me and connect with me on LinkedIn and Jibo, B-A-U-X, um, and also follow us on, uh, on our company webpage as well, Women in Tech Forum, but also I'm open to email techforum.com. Excellent, excellent. So thank you so much for being a guest and giving us all of that insight and knowledge about being a global leader and how you need to um, adapt and be curious. I love that. Thank you so much for being a guest on Scale Yourselves podcast, Angie Bo. Thank you so much, Janice. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.